Welcome to Rain City Supercars. I'm Nick. I'm Dan, and we're brought to you by Haggerty and Rainier Beer, and coming at you live from Drivers Club. Well, not live to you guys, but we're recording in front of a live studio audience. Yeah, this had to be recorded live sometime. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a lot of new listeners. Our numbers have gone significantly up over the last few episodes. So yeah, thank you to all of you happen. guys. That I know. Uh, association with the mob is really counting. You know, it's good. Right, we're yeah, paying off, hitting the right people in the kneecaps. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to this. You're going to like it. <laughs> so for all of our new listeners, if this is your first time listening... Uh, we are a car show, but we're a car show about people. So don't think of us as reading off a spec sheet. That'll never happen on this show. You can go Wikipedia stuff yourself. But we try and get to know the people. We're specifically Northwest-based, but the people behind the cars, what made them who they are, what made them decide to drive what they drive, race what they race, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Just so we're clear, I have a cold and my head is not working right now. And Dan's looking at me like, say something. Uh huh. That's who we are. So Nick's high is a kite on cold medicine, so Pretty this much. will be fun. The schnozberries <laughs> taste like schnozberries. <laughs> so what did we what did we do the last week? We usually do. Should we start with a recap of our week? I did very little. I was I've been sick all week. Nick and laid on his been, back. Well, pretty much. Well, that's that's no different from any other week. Uh, it's been car related. I mean, uh, the Northwest is sort of uh, coming out of its hibernation. It was been a, been a pretty nice weekend or a few nice days. We the cars are back out on the road. People are starting to kind of unhibernate. It's kind so. of funny. The garage at work is you can always tell when it's when the weather gets nice because it goes from like all the hybrids and stuff that you want to smash into really really nice cars on every floor. It's like it's a little mini showroom yeah so and drivers club like emptied out then filled back up when the rain started. yeah everybody's out driving their cars but you know what we i think we, what do we say but like we, we think we hold the like at least three to four percent of the gt2 rs's in the world are here they're all just so, at yeah. drivers club yeah, pretty I think much. there's four that are housed here pretty and there's much. only two here right now oh that sucks i know only i'm going two. home <laughs> yeah. yeah we need no we, i mean we just had the opportunity uh with our guest uh, we, uh adam robertson brought a 600 lt by that we got to i got to back it up it's really cool in reverse once you learn how to turn the emergency brakes off yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> but other than that yeah i mean it hasn't been you know I haven't, we haven't done really any drives or anything. I went and checked on the Triumph. It's uh, um, They're getting, getting the transmission about into it's that. leaking away as usual? No. Oh God, I looked at the old transmission. I cannot believe it. It's just black. <laughs> it's nasty and grimy. But, you know. Well, it's the original one, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It's the original one from 1959. Dang. So, yeah. The fact that you got anything British to run that long is amazing, <laughs> even now. <laughs> run is an interesting word. But, yeah. It's yeah. been good. So our guest today is someone uh, I'm sure pretty much all of our car enthusiasts are very familiar with, and that's Dominic Dobson. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Thank you for making the drive up here from Portland. I came all the way from Portland just you. to see you. Well, yes. yes. <laughs> what a lot of people don't know is Dan and Dominic and I have known each other for a long time. We uh, actually, when we always uh, kind of share a house down in Monterey and sometimes down in Scottsdale. So uh, we've gotten to know Dominic that way. Intimately. Um, intimately, you know, it's like, you know. That's a strong word. It's a strong word, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's an accurate word. <laughs> so it's just, uh, but we've, uh, uh, we've always seen Dominic as a friend. I mean, but the, if you're, you're a car guy or racing history, you know Dominic because he's, he's done a few things. I mean, yeah. something like that. He has a diverse career. You have a very diverse career compared to even most race car drivers, I think. I really do. And, you know, I, I was kind of at the end of the era where you could do that. Um, nowadays, it's all so specialized. You know, you have formula car drivers and you have sports car drivers and you have stock car drivers. There's very little crossover. And so, you know, I started in carts and then went open wheel. I did closed wheel and sports cars. And then um, when I retired, I decided there was three bucket list races I want to do. And that was the Baja 1000, which I did in 05, Pikes Peak, which I did in 15, and then I want to go 300 miles an hour at Bonneville. I don't have a time frame for that, but 
on that schedule, I have till 2025. To uh, you're good, yeah. I'd be like 130 years old, but you just go straight. 130, so yeah. Well, close. Say, so, hey, uh, Burt Monroe raced out there until he was in his 70s, didn't he? Yeah. So. I think there's been guys, I think the oldest record holders actually in his 80s. Dang. So, yeah, I'm not in a big rush, but. Bones are brittle, more brittle than it's easier to break at 300. But they're also lighter. <laughs> the wind, the wind <laughs> will break your bones at that speed. But yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That is awesome. But no, no, but Dominic, you weren't, you're not, you weren't born in the United States. You're German-born, right? I was born in Germany. My father was in the military. Yeah, over there, just on the base, and then met my mother in Zurich. She's Swiss. Um, After you got, were born, he met, your, he met her husband. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your father. No, my okay. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think I was accidentally a Russian adoptee. but That works. Um, no, <laughs> they, and then they had me on the base, and then I moved over here when I was very young. We moved to Seattle and then bounced back and forth between Eugene and Seattle for a little bit, and then settled in here, I think, about third grade, second grade, something like that. And uh, lived here pretty much all my life. I did about a 10-year stint in California when I went down to work for the Bondurant uh, Driving School. And then came back, got married, came back, and uh, or got, came back and got married. I can't remember the some order ago, some order. You came here, yeah. you got married. Okay. I yeah, <laughs> yeah. Had kids, and uh, now I'm I'm moved to Portland a couple of years ago to start a little uh, VR business and having fun. But I'm up here every couple of weeks. Well, we, we've been trying to track you down. It's funny because we see each other at uh, car events and things like that, but I'm, and we kept going, we need to have you up there. We, How long have we been talking about this? Over uh, a year. A long time. I mean, yeah, s- maybe s- two years. Since we kind of started this, it's like, I was like, we got to get Dominic on. Because um, if uh, you, you have been listening to our podcast, uh, Andrew Evans, who's a good friend of ours, he's been on the podcast, you're sort of his uh, mentor and, and, and coach for a long time. And Andrew's still, well, what's he, I don't know, what's he racing now? He's into... Um, the last uh, test he did, he, well, his last race he did was in the LMP3 car, LJ, yeah. that was in Road Atlanta. Unfortunately, got hit from behind and taken out very early in the race. It was sad. And then um, he tested more recently at Daytona uh, LMP2 car, which was his first experience going 200 miles an hour and going 200 miles an hour at night on the banking. So that was a big eye opener for him. Um, so now he's, he's getting close to my record of he's been on fire. He's gone over 200 <laughs> miles an hour at night. <laughs> Such great records to hold. Uh, he handles a Hyundai very Elantra. Very illustrious. With, he handles a Hyundai Elantra with four people in it very well. If you listen to our uh, Scottsdale recap that came out uh, two weeks ago, I think a week ago, um, we, we took him and we made him drive us up uh, out of Scottsdale and up to uh, Jerome, Jerome. The backside. Oh. The back, you know, in a Hyundai Elantra. But, he, you know, he, so his skills. That was special. Goes, it was so funny. We walked out. He goes, who's going to drive? And we all looked, I'm like, you're the race car driver. You're <laughs> like, driving. You like, yeah, we're not driving. <laughs> you know, when we go to races together, we have to flip coins to see who's going to drive because neither one of us wants to drive. <laughs> you're driving So we enough. finally decided on race weekends, I would drive at any other time he had to <laughs> he drive. He has to drive. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. That's fair. Dominic, I mean, how did you end up in, in the cars? Like, what, was that a family thing? Was your dad in the cars? Yeah. You know, I blame it on my dad. He was into, um, uh, he was a turn worker at Pacific Raceways. Okay. Um, back when it was the original Pacific Raceways, before it became SIR, then back to Pacific. And he was an autocrosser. So he had these little Volkswagen bugs that he would kind of rat rod up and, and, you know, put bigger tires on them and anything you could do for, you know, under $10. And uh, he would go and do this. And so I would just, you know, he'd bring me out to the racetrack when I was a little kid. And I just fell in love with the sound and the smell. And that was back in the day where you could walk up to Parnelli Jones or Mario Andretti or, you know, Swede Savage and get their autograph and they'd, they'd talk to you. It was very informal and very different than it is now. So I just became obsessed with it. I talked him into getting me a go-kart. Um, we got 
my first go-kart was a 1958 Sears go-kart. It had one big tube down the middle. <laughs> it kind of looked like something that was made in your backyard. It had a Briggs and Stratton on it. We just race up and down the alley. And the only rule I had was um, at the end of the street, I had to turn around and come back. I couldn't cross the street and go on to the next alley and the next alley and the next alley. So that was our little test track. We brought it out to the racetrack, and they pretty much all laughed at us. They said, this is not a racing cart. You cannot drive this 1958 Sears cart. <laughs> Now, this would have been in about the, uh, I know that sounds really old, but this was in the early 60s or mid-early 60s. I think it was about 65, 66. So it wasn't that old. It was still a late model, right? Keep telling yourself that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, we just started that. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And I just did karting. And then my dad started and my brother started. And that was what our family sport was for oh, the wow. pretty much the whole time I was growing up. Wow. And I used to say, you know, if my dad had been a baseball umpire and brought me to a baseball game, I could have fallen in love with baseball. Who knows? You know, you, you have the right, you know, attitude for being an umpire. I could see that. You oh, know, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking as a player. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that too. That's well, if only the driving thing had worked out for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so Sorry I didn't have any success there. Yeah. How long did you race carts? Into, into your teens and then? Yeah, I raced carts until I was 18. And then, you know, a little crossover. Um, I started work at a place called sports racing center out on aurora working for a guy who um had some race cars and had some clients that you know dabbled in sports cars and race cars and stuff and a guy brought this formula he'd bought a formula ford i'm not sure what he did for a living but i'm not sure it was legal anyway he had this formula ford and he said i bought this car i drove it once it scared the crap out of me so i'm not going to drive anymore do you have any ideas what should i do and my boss at the time looked at me and said that kid's a racer right there. Why don't you let him drive it? He looks at me, introduces himself, and I thought, this could be my first ride. This kid's great. This, <laughs> is, called, yeah. this is called other people's cars. Yep. Much cheaper that way. <laughs> so he let me drive it. We went to my first race uh, in Vancouver, BC, at a track called Westwood, which is long gone now. Fantastic track. It had this thing called Deer's Leap in the middle of the backstretch where you literally you get airborne, um, and there'd be bears and deers crossing <laughs> the track. At all hours. It the was full great. Canadian racing experience. wasn't dangerous enough. The full enough. Canadian yeah. experience. Yeah, exactly. You know, free beer in the pits. Um, anyway. <laughs> Canadian I, get, I, well, we have a Canadian guest here, so we get that. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> uh, we had this discussion, call it a discussion, uh, right before the race about how much fuel to put in the car. And I wanted to put in nine gallons. And he said, no, let's put in eight because you'll save seven pounds. I said, I don't think that's enough gas. Anyway, I ran out while leading with my l on the last lap <laughs> in my wow. first novi ever novice race. So I learned a good lesson. Don't ever let the owner calculate the fuel. You'll save seven pounds. Yeah, yeah. but we won't win. Oh, okay. <laughs> we won't what if I use the bathroom first instead? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, you have a huge bladder. <laughs> Just Lord. take that case of Molson out <laughs> of the Absolutely. <laughs> Don't you know, eh? <laughs> Jeez. You're going to want to avoid that moose. <laughs> yeah, it's been all downhill since then. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> What, uh, what was your first professional series? I mean, so I guess that was your first professional race. No, that was an amateur race. Just that was a, a conference race. Oh, okay. You know, or SCCA or conference. I can't remember which, but. Yeah, uh, what was your first professional race then? Like, and how did you make that transition? Let's start with that. The transition from that to professional. Um, I, you know, I was just racing up here and trying to do what I could, but there wasn't that much going on up here. And I was racing carts at the time with a, a young lady named Kathy Rude 
whose father was the president of the cart club in Tacoma, and she was a good racer, and she um, ended up going down to work at the Bonnerant School when it was in Sonoma at the time. And um, she called me up one day. She said, we're hiring. We open a new police driving academy, and we need instructors. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm bored. I'm in Seattle. There's not enough going on. It's raining all the time. I was ready to you know, get out of Dodge. So I packed up my stuff and, and uh, got on a plane, went down there, um, did an interview with Bob. Uh, this is actually kind of a funny story because he, we did the interview. It was like, this sounds great. And uh, I said, you know, is, is it okay? I bring my race car down. He's like, oh, you're a racer. I said, yeah, I'm a racer. I thought that's what you want. He's like, I'm sick of racers. They want Fridays off. They want Mondays off. They always want their paychecks ahead of time. He's like, I'm done. No more racers. So I left. I was depressed. In that like, case, no, I'm not a racer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I went to dinner with Kathy that night. And she's like, oh, just go back and tell Bob what he wants to hear. Tell him you, you're going to sell your car. You're going to quit racing. But I said, that's not the truth. She goes, it doesn't matter. matter. It's just a little white light. Matter He'll what forget. the truth is. He'll yeah. forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> so sure enough, I went back, told him, you know, Bob, I decided just I'm going to uh, I didn't tell him I was going to quit racing. I said, I'm going to just leave my car in Seattle and not worry about racing right now. I said, okay, good. Hired me. About a week later, he's like, where's your race car? I'm like, it's still in Seattle. He's like, you need it down here. I want racers. <laughs> so he sent me with his truck and trailer to go pick up my race car that weekend and bring it back down to California. Such so, a rough life we're living. I know. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then well, I had students that uh, I started a little business called um, Zephyr Racing. We imported Tiger race cars from England because a lot of our students came through. And these would be guys in their, you know, maybe middle-aged guys, 40s, 50s, who had some money, wanted to go racing. They didn't have a lot of time. So they wanted somebody. It was the original kind of arrive and drive program. And we started that back in whenever that was. This would have been the mid-80s, 85, something like that, 84, 85. And at that time, Formula Super V was the kind of up-and-coming series. If you wanted to get into IndyCars or something like that, Formula Super V was a SCCA Pro series. And um, one of my students ended up getting me a car. The other one sponsored me. And I did Long Beach Grand Prix in the Super V. I think that was in 1983. Oh. Uh, I know because I'm just researching this stuff. So that was probably my first actual pro race. Nice. Wow. So. And you've had your hands in. When you went pro, you like you were, we were mentioning earlier in the podcast that you really got into all sorts of racing, NASCAR trucks, I mean, Indy, everything. I've, it's fun reading your, your Wikipedia page because you've just kind of been all over the place. <laughs> I know. I was kind of all over the place. Oh, I've been but editing his page for, right, so, no, left for and small right, little things. Too. It's just yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem with being ADD is focus is Squirrel. an issue. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Let's talk about the span of your racing career. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. We spend an average of eight hours and 41 minutes a day facing screens. Laptops, smartphones, tablets, even digital refrigerators. But what are we really connected to? Isn't it time you connected to something greater? Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. This moment of escape was created by Haggerty for people who love cars. And we're back. And where we left off, we were talking about Dominic's racing career and getting started in the mid-80s, I guess it was, early 80s, 83, you said. Yeah. So, um, you know, I went down to the uh, Bonnerant School and started teaching there and, you know, kind of got into some racing. But when I went to Long Beach for the first year, I had a kind of a year old cart and it was just a kind of a shoestring effort. And I ended up qualifying second, I think. Dang. And uh, there was an uh, Irish kid named Tommy Byrne 
who raced at the time, and he was real fast, and he'd been running in the series, and I don't think he appreciated much the fact that I'd out-qualified him, and he was right behind me. And I remember sitting on the grid, and um, as I was staying there, I hadn't gotten the car yet, and he drove his car. We had like our little starter pack there behind like a little jumper pack for the battery. And he thought it'd be cute to go up and just run into my battery and like shove it into the back of my car, <laughs> just as a joke, just as a little way of saying, if you're going to be in front of me, you better stay in front yeah, of me. Yeah, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's you know, always good when the Irish are mad at you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. That'll never turn out bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as it turned out at the moment, it was one of those things. I would not met him before. So I thought, oh. okay, I'm going to have a problem with this guy. <laughs> and it turned out we didn't. We, we met later on. It was fun. And he was a good, hard, fair racer. And I uh, had a lot of those guys that I met. I raced with Ari Leindyke and Chip Robinson and... Um, of course, Price Cobb was there. A lot of guys that, you know, went on to do other things, ran in them, so whatever. I've been kind of going through. I've started this book project just to try and organize my life in some way and kind of remember and for really, the, the I think, the benefit of my kids, kind of put my races together in some, in some stories. Um, so I, I've been going back through all the old race results and remembering, you know, these things. Because when I look at the sheet, I remember the people, and then I start remembering the stories and, you know, what happened and experiences both on and off the track. And it's been a lot of, it's been a kind of an eye-opening project. So were you racing under Bondurant at this time? Were, were, they, were they sponsoring you as well, or were you just no. working there and then racing on the weekends kind that, of thing? Okay. Yeah, I was just working there, racing on nice. the weekends. No, Bob didn't sponsor anyone. Bob sponsored himself, I think. Pretty much. He still does. Yeah, still does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's kind of sad to see what's happened there, you know, with the bankruptcy and all that. And, of course, Bob's health is not the best. So. But we had He could still outdrive us, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it was one of the funny things. When he used to take people out, he had this Ford van, like the big F-250 or 350 van that held 12 people or whatever. He put these, you know, suspension on it these tires he'd take everybody out in the morning right when they got there they'd do a little meet and greet put everybody in the van take them out for a hot lap around the track in this van and <laughs> scared the bejesus out of them and it either made them want to go really fast and they were a problem or it made them go so slow that you never got them up to speed because they were still shaking from <laughs> the, the van ride with bob i almost died in a ford yeah. <laughs> yeah. we were talking to his wife and was it Scottsdale two years ago, yeah. and she was saying how they had a they had a Hellcat because they were doing the the Dodge Hellcat thing right now. Yep, and they had one for a press car there. Okay, and they were they were gonna have a driver take him out, and she's like, "Get in, I'm taking you out." And this is for the press guy that was with them, and she scared the crap she out of him. She made him, him yeah. puke. Yeah, she made him puke. After <laughs> really? The, yeah. Well, that's not good. <laughs> I was wow. like, oh, that was quite the introduction to what really goes on at Bunder, and it was awesome. She was a fun lady. Yeah. Well, they know how to drive. Yeah, they, they do. Know they know how to drive. So how long did you work for Bondurant? You, you uh, about there. five years. Five it years. wasn't a long time. I, it was about three years full-time, and then I went to part-time after um, I started racing, and then I just couldn't do it. You know, it was too much. I started. Yeah. I got my first IndyCar ride uh, in 1985 with the leader card racing, a guy named um, A.J. Watson, owned by a guy named Ralph Wilkie. The team had been around forever, and, you know, A.J. Watson's roadsters won Indy pretty much nonstop from the late 50s up through uh, 60s and AJ was a character that guy crew cut kind of ex-marine looking guy and he viewed drivers pretty much like an engine or a tire they were completely expendable <laughs> and easy <laughs> to replace sure <laughs> so if, just you, blew one up, if yeah. you blew one up you just popped another you one blew in. one up 
Yeah, was, we, we had a story about that during the break. It was about you and fire that you didn't like so much. Well, there was a couple of stories. You know, the one, and, and, and AJ was awesome. He was a great mentor to me. But I remember him telling me once, he's like, you know, in the old days, one driver could kill two, three car, or one car could kill two or three drivers. And nowadays, one driver can kill two or three cars. I think I like the old days better. <laughs> so was that always the route you wanted to go as a kid? You started with karting. Did you want to go indie? Oh, I want to be been all, Like we said, you've been all yeah. over the place. So you know, when I was a young kid, before even or when I first started racing karting uh, carts, I was probably you know ten, uh, eleven uh, that age. I wanted to be a Formula One driver because I thought that's the pinnacle of motorsport, right? That's what I want to be. I didn't understand that you know I was American, even though I had a German Italian sounding name, yeah. and I was born in Germany, didn't quite qualify. So I wrote a letter to like Jackie Stewart and a couple of the other drivers at the time. And I remember Jackie Stewart writing me a letter back. It was typed out, it was signed by him, basically saying, don't give up, you can do whatever you want. You know, it's a tough sport, but put your mind to it. It was just kind of this visionary. That was know, called a le- form letter, by the way. Maybe. Sign this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it probably was. I'm sure he Some got American it. kid. Is his <laughs> name Phil Hill? Nope, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. So somewhere I still have that letter in sure. a box in storage somewhere. It's probably a growing mold now, but yeah, I tended to hang on to that stuff. Yeah, as, yeah I would say, as I would do if I got a letter from Jackie Stewart. So at some point, you know, uh, working at Bond Run and then running Super B, we were around the IndyCars. We used to run at Detroit with the IndyCars, I think at the Meadowlands, Laguna Seca. There were three or four of our races that were alongside the IndyCars. So, of course, you know, I thought, well, Formula One's probably not ever going to happen for me or any, uh, anyone else. So um, I started hanging around with the IndyCar guys. And my engine builder, a guy named Dave Conti from Indianapolis, introduced me to A.J. Watson. And they ended up, and he must have talked me up or something because the next thing I knew, they called me up and said, hey, do you want to come test to IndyCar at Indianapolis Raceway Park, which is the little road course there. It's about five miles from, or 10 miles from the speedway. So I went and tested that car, and I just, I'll never forget. You know, race car drivers like two things. They like power, and they like grip. Well, they like other things, too. Yeah, well. Okay, Those yeah, are two things say, yeah. that yeah. <laughs> come to mind that are safe and legal. Um, <laughs> I don't know about safe, but they're legal. Yeah. So I remember getting in that car, you know, having come from a little Super V, which was about a 1,200-pound car with, you know, maybe 200 horsepower, getting an Indy car, which is now a 1,600-pound car with 850 horsepower yeah. and oh. big, wide tires. Um, really, I knew, I knew what I wanted to do from that point on you fell in love instantly i fell in love with the that and so ended up getting a ride with them the next year and that was when i got the cart rookie of the year in 1986 we ran about i guess eight races or so but um, my co-driver was gary bettenhausen so in those days you know i'd never done oval race in my life and gary bettenhausen was had injured his arm one of the famous Bettenhausen family had injured his arm in a sprint car race so he couldn't really drive a road course because he couldn't let go uh, and shift because it injured his left hand so um, he could only drive the ovals he kind of drove with one hand he's like put his hand there and he pretty much steered like that and he was fast he was really good so we shared the car he did the ovals and I did the road courses oh Oh, that works yeah my and, and you didn't injure his arm for him, did you? <laughs> <laughs> that had happened yeah. years. Yeah. You know, Gary was probably in his mid-40s at that time, and I was in my mid-20s, or maybe late late 20s, I guess. Um, and so, you know, I was kind of the young up-and-comer. They didn't have 18-year-old race car drivers back in those days. You know, mid-20s was considered young. And 
you know, like, geez, Foyt and Bettenhausen, those guys were still racing well into their 40s. And, of course, now it's all kind of come down. But, yeah, Gary was awesome. He was a great mentor as well, taught me a lot of stuff about the car. And then the next year I went back to Indy with my own car, and uh, first oval race ever was the Indy 500. Oh I didn't. Uh, I never ran midgets. Just start at the top, huh? Yeah, right yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, like, it's just four left corners. It's like a big road course. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Left, like, turn, no right left turn, left yeah. turn. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How'd you do the first year? Um, the first year was a struggle. I think we had we had a car, we had one engine, and we had like eight tires. Oh. We only had one set of wheels. We had to swap them out each time. And I had like three crew guys who were all like sharing a room at the Motel 6 and eating at Waffle House. It was Everybody assumes that if you're a race car driver, everything's luxurious and you're at the high yeah, end. Yeah, no, no, not no. So much. I think our budget was about $800. Uh, anyway, I qualified for the race. And the thing was, in those days, if you qualified and got to start the race, you're, you got the last place prize money. Even if you pulled in after a lap, you still won like 100 grand, 110 grand, which would have, you know, paid for the whole month. But I qualified, and with 10 minutes left to go, somebody out-qualified me. I got bumped out of the field, and oh. we had no tires. No, I mean, no chance of cutting back. And so that was a good lesson for me. I, I realized that, you know, if you're going to come back and do this, you got to be a little more... Uh, better equipped you know, sure. in terms of budget. So the next year, I had my own car again, rented it from Dick Simon, um, had some sponsorship from a company called Columbia Helicopters down in Portland, and um, our budget was $97,000. Not 100, 97. Yeah. <laughs> We're willing to go to 97. That's it. That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think we had two engines and 12 tires. You know, well, that's, like that's, that. that's a start. But it worked out a lot better. Um, we had some help on the chassis setup. I ended up doing a 210.096 miles an hour, a number I'll never forget, because that was the fastest rookie in history. I qualified like, I don't know, it was like 13th or 14th fastest in the field, and um, that was a great start. Of course, the engine blew up after like two-thirds of the race, and, but that was okay because we still finished decent. That you still year. set a record, yeah. Yeah, and that Absolutely. record stayed for, geez, I think about five years before wow. a, a rookie beat it. Nice. 210.96. 0.096. Jeez, Dan, get it right. Fractions are important. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) They win races, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I was going through, and I I didn't, as as long as I've known you, I didn't know you raced NASCAR trucks. I did? NASCAR truck series is what's listed on the Wikipedia page. No NASCAR? My psychologist said, don't ever think about it, and it'll disappear. It didn't actually happen. Oh. Oh. These aren't the trucks you're looking for. That was... um, kind of a thing that I won't say I got forced into, but we had run, we had a three-year contract with Chrysler to run the super touring cars, the Dodge Stratus. Yeah. And uh, ran the first year and second year with David Donahue. And I had a great thing. David ended up winning the championship the, the second year. And the reason Chrysler got involved is because they were told by the organizers that Chevy and Ford, you know, were going to get involved. That was going to be a manufacturer's thing. Well, Ford and Chevy never got involved in any special they way. They were tricked. Yeah. So they ended up pulling. Chrysler said, we, we're out. We're not going to do this again the third year. And so as a result, the series just folded. That was the end of it. So I'm sitting there with a year to go on my contract, and uh, the Chrysler folks said, we'd like you to be a NASCAR team because we think a English-based, Indianapolis-based you know, based with an English engineer and a driver who's German or something you know, can win in NASCAR. And I'm looking, I'm like, 
no, it's not going to happen. It doesn't work this way. I'm absolutely sure we're not going to win any races. Why don't we do a Viper project for you? Because we're a road racing team. You know, I know how to turn right. And Viper's kind of cool right. at the time. And they're like, no, 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 we have enough Viper teams. We need a NASCAR team. So we did that. And it was um, probably the worst year of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Our, our sponsor ended up declaring bankruptcy. Um, MCI, do you remember that? Company yeah. when they back, yeah. they were our sponsor. So like the last sponsorship check never appeared. <laughs> <laughs> That's and so funny. It was really hard to kind of get in the swing of that and understand that. You know, the one thing I, I did learn is that, you know, for any road racers that don't have respect for the NASCAR drivers who can go fast and turn left, they should because those guys are a damn good group of drivers and they really knew what they were doing. Huh. Yeah, I've always loved the engineering behind NASCAR. It's a, the, this, I don't watch NASCAR like I do other motorsports, it's, but it's not for any lack of respect for the drivers. I've met enough of them to know and seen the engineers to know. And, uh, of course, our, Microsoft has a big sponsorship there. Just the engineering behind all that is amazing. Yeah. You said it's, it was, we were talking about Pikes Peak, and that's actually, anybody who's listened to this podcast for a while knows that's like one of my favorite races ever. I made a special road trip just to drive it in my GTR. Which oh, prefer- fun. It, well, it would have been, except I wasn't tuned for the elevation, and so by the time I got to the top, it was like barely running. Barely running. Barely right. running, and it's, yeah, long story there. But you said that was on your bucket list. How did you get, how, what put it on your bucket list? I mean, legendary history, you know, and all that. But Yeah, so funny thing, you know, I returned 1994 from IndyCars. I did my last thing. Then we did the touring car. Then we did the NASCAR. And then I, I was done. I'd, we had our first daughter. I turned 40 years old, you know, and I thought when I, and I always told my wife at the time, I said, when racing ceases to be fun, I'm going to quit. Because mm-hmm. she's, you know, asking me, well, how long are you going to do this? you got a kid now. you got a house. You know, when are you going to be a normal guy and just have a job? And I said, <laughs> when, when it's <laughs> not fun anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, that NASCAR year pretty much took all the fun out yeah. of it. <laughs> I'm good. I'd like to yeah. quit now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> pretty much. So, but then I started thinking about it. I, I really just took probably seven, eight years off. I didn't go to a race. I didn't do anything. And um, then I started thinking about it like, you know, I still like to drive fast. I don't miss all the travel. I don't miss, you know, the wheel-to-wheel racing even so much, but I do miss driving cars fast. So I started looking around. I'm like, geez, you know, I've done a lot of different things. I've done carts and Super V and Indy and Le Mans and Daytona, Sebring. I've done Goodwood. Or, I had, you know, uh, at that time I was um, thinking about, um, uh, you know, what races could I do that would make me – um, different, like in terms of how many races people have done. Yeah. Like where can I kind of make Set my Set a market? record for how, how many different places. How many different places yeah. I go. Yeah. I don't know. There's no official record for that sure. at all. But I started thinking Baja, Pikes Peak, and Bonneville. So um, those are my bucket list races. And I think when I get done with Bonneville, I may be, someone's going to check me on this, uh, the only person alive right now that will have done all those races. Because it used to be back in the days of A.J. Foyt and Andretti and, you know, they would do all these different races. But when you think about um, now, there's not that many guys left around who would have done that. And I look back through the history of some of those guys and there's always like one of those races that they haven't competed in. So uh, I thought if nothing else, it'd make a pretty good engravement on my tombstone. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Been there, done that. This idiot did more <laughs> different <laughs> races. Did more races. He, couldn't, he couldn't focus. Um, so uh, I, did, ADHD. I, 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 I did. I did a motorcycle ride in Baja um, in like 04. I had so much fun and uh, decided that I want to come back and do this in a car. 
So I did it with my buddy here from Bellevue, a guy named Frank Everett, and we had a very interesting time. We, let's just say that we um, kind of missed a knockdown marker that said go left, oh. and we thought we should go straight, and the only problem was the road was washed out. And we were going like 97 miles an hour, which is fast as a car would go at four in the morning. And there was no road. It had been washed out. And so we went kind of over a bump, flew in the air, and landed in 16 feet of the nastiest, briniest salt water on the <laughs> Pacific side. Um, and that car sank like a rock because it had no windshield or anything. It was just an open um, buggy, right? Yeah. So we went to the bottom. And uh, I got out. I was passenger. So I, you know, like... Window net, radio, hose, seatbelt, boom, I'm out. Probably swam to the ceiling here to get to the surface. And, of course, my co-driver, Frank, he had the steering wheel and all that stuff. And he was a little older at the time. And I got to the surface. I'm like, I got to go back. I got to try and, get, you know, get him. It's not good. It's not good at all. So I took a big breath. I'm ready to try and dive. You know, of course, I got my helmet on, my gloves, suit, everything. And he pops up like that. I'm like... Son of a bitch. <laughs> you missed a sign. <laughs> it's your job to tell me where to turn. Oh, yeah, about that. Well, we had that discussion later. He's like, yeah, you were navigating. I'm like, well, you were driving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you should have told me where to turn, and you shouldn't have driven us off a cliff. I, I think we ended up assigning blame two-thirds to him, one-third to me. That works. <laughs> yeah, That's pretty good. Yeah, we negotiated. Good. I mean, you know. We were looking for that third person in the car, but they didn't exist. Exactly. So. Somebody. so then we got in this little argument about do we swim back that way or do we swim that way? I'm like, that way. He's like, no, that way. <laughs> Which way did we come from? <laughs> yeah. We swam to shore. Finally, another you know another team shows up, and we I remember calling on the satellite phone to our crews, and uh, we're like, we're in water. They're like, well, can you drive it out? And I'm like, no, 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 we're underwater. No, 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 He's no, like, yeah. well, can you get someone to tow you out? I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> Bring a scuba diver. Yeah. Bring yeah. a scuba team, which they ultimately did. You know, hours later. So you couldn't have been the only team that missed the turn then, right? Well, the funny thing was, the reason that we missed it is because, A, it had happened like a few days before the race. They didn't update the GPS. So the GPS still said you can go straight or you can go left. It didn't, it didn't uh, say a recommended uh. way. And the, apparently they had big signs out there, but someone before us had knocked them down. So there was no signs. And the team that came back to help us was the Hummer support team from GM. Yeah. And they were like, we've been sitting here because we knew this was going to happen to someone. And we didn't want it to happen to our guy. So thanks. <laughs> like, they ended up putting the sign up. And, uh, yeah, we were the only yeah, ones we've that we've been actually, sitting here to, in case this happened. Well, you could have just put the sign back up and then it wouldn't happen. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah, use a Hummer I, as a sign. Yeah. <laughs> I had a little chat with the organizer afterwards about the GPS thing. He's like, you know, you're the first ones to almost drown at Baja. It's like, we've had other injuries you're, and we've had Leave it to you, no Dominic. He's the only guy that could drown in the desert. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Yeah. I was going to say, I've heard some and seen some terrible crashes in Baja. I have uh, never heard of anybody going and submerging a car in Baja. Yeah, I have pictures somewhere. It was quite the treat. Must it's have been fun to get that so. car out, too. And then you decided, hey, I'm going to go do Pikes Peak. Yeah. And you, so and you did it right. Well, you know, I, I'd always wanted to do it, so I knew it was on, on my bucket list, and um, kind of been kicking around. I'd gone there a couple times with my buddies from Redmond here, uh, Living Faulkner Livingston Racing. They had a team of motorcycles. So they brought me to Bonneville, and they brought me to Pikes Peak as a, just a guest watching, and that's when I knew I had to do these two races, because they're both very, very special places. And um, so a buddy of mine, George Scott in, in Aspen, had bought a Radical, SR3, which he did some racing, and then he stepped up and bought an SR8, which is the little V8-powered 
Um, three, that's what that car needs liter. is more horsepower. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. he drove that car a couple times. He's like, this car is a little fast for me. It kind of scares me. I'm like, well, why don't we race it at Baja? And he's like, perfect. Great idea. Baja, you mean at Pikes. Pikes. Uh, Pikes. At Pikes Peak. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. Pikes. This would not well, be would a good be really Baja. That would be radical. Yeah. <laughs> I have Baja in the brain. Um, New record. They made it five feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we started, um, you know. Checking with the organizer, we had to do a bunch of work to the car. We had to put a roll cage in it and a fuel cell and put a new floor on it. And, you know, it kept becoming a bigger and bigger project. We, we were all in. And I was thinking to myself, how can I practice? Because Pikes Peak, you get, you know, literally three kind of morning sessions where you do a third, a third, and a third. But you never get to run from bottom to top until race day. That's it. You one chance. So um, I met a guy, my current co-founder of our business, our VR motion business, who'd built simulators for the World of Speed Museum down in Wilsonville in mm -hmm. Portland, ah. which, by the way, if you haven't been there, go. It's very cool. Yeah. So um, I drove those sims, and I said, you know, these are cool. Wanted to meet Keith. I said, hey, can you build me a simulator for Pikes Peak? Can you build my car in that track? And he said, I think I can do that. Yep. Irish guy. <laughs> and I said, okay. Seems um, to be a theme. <laughs> what's it going to cost me? He's like, nothing just give me a you know make me a guest at the race and put a little decal on the car where you do that i'm like that's a sponsorship i like there yes you absolutely. Go. i can yeah. do that yeah so he ended up literally in in virtual reality built the racetrack and built the radical and i ended up doing 22 runs in that simulator prior to the event like the week before and at the end i did a 10 minute 25 second run and he said i predict you're going to do a 10 minute 25 second run up the mountain in your car i'm like how do you know that he's like Trust me, I know this. So, okay, fine, whatever. Did my run, ended up doing 10 minutes, 15 seconds, which was less than 1% variant from what he suggested I was going to do. I was so thrilled. Ended up winning my class, the unlimited class, and got rookie of the year as a result of that. So I was thrilled. I called him up. I said, I don't know what kind of magic you've got going with this VR thing, but I want to be involved. And so we started talking a year later. We started our driver training, VR driver training business. So uh, what it did is it gave me that muscle memory. You know, Pikes Peak, there's a lot of corners where you're going into them, and they look kind of the same. You're looking at blue sky. You know there's a corner coming up, but some are hairpins, and some are like down one gear and then stand on it. Well, if you get it wrong one way, and th they look the same coming in. So you have to remember. There's 156 corners. It's a little bit like the Nürburgring, you know, that way. And um, if you get it wrong one way, you lose all your momentum. You get it wrong the other way, you're... you're off the you, you become that Mitsubishi Evo that rolled off the side or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I say, you can say two Hail Marys before you hit the ground the first time. Right. Yeah. And then you start tumbling. So uh, anyway, I didn't want to do that. I crashed in the simulator a couple times, and I like... Uh, no, no, no. I'm not going to do that. That's no fun. Yeah, I was Much gonna safer place to crash, yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Places. I mean, with your extensive racing career and the races you've run, especially Baja and Pikes Peak, I mean, were, do you get afraid going up something like Pikes Peak? I mean, I drove it in the same lane and not racing, and I was like, holy crap, I don't want to get this wrong at 10 miles an hour. You know, afraid is um interesting word. I don't get afraid of driving the car fast. I don't get afraid of racing. Um, I... I, it's one of those things where I guess since I was a little kid, I enjoyed it so much. I always looked forward to it. So even the most kind of daunting thing, sure, you get butterflies and this and that. Yeah. You know, and it's really before you start. When you're sitting in the car before the engine starts, that's when, and, and they've done a lot of studies with F1 drivers and everything else, that's when the heart rate's the highest. You know, and there's the most kind of tension there. But once the engine starts and you start going, I'm just in driving mode. And, yeah. you know, I try to make sure I'm no always... No pun intended, in yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm always enjoying it. So, you know, 
I, you know, my mother scared me more than a race car ever scared me in terms of just, you know, being fearful of something. Dogs scare me more than <laughs> race cars do. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair I enough. guess that's a healthy, that's the only way to look at it. That's a very healthy way to look at it as well. I think if you'd be too scared, you would never drive. Nobody would ever go out there. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? You have uh, to have faith in your skill. Right. Yeah. That's that's what it's all about. And you know, we we <laughs> we even measure people when they get in the simulator and our goal is to make it so realistic when they get in that they get scared. Uh, you know, they get not scared as nervous. We measure heart rate and and skin temperature and we can tell if you do it well enough, you, they really think they're driving. Yeah. And so they get kind of tense about, you know, what it is you're going to do, especially if they think they're being watched or tested in some way. Oh, sure. That makes sense. So just before we started our interview, you went for a little drive. I did, yeah. I got to drive the new McLaren 600 LT. A- LT, that's right, yeah, yeah coupe. Um, gray with this fantastic orange interior. What a car. Isn't that a fun car? Yeah, I mean, we only got it going like 214 up on well, a 520. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't say that. I don't know what you're <laughs> talking about. Can you erase that part <laughs> of it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Take that back, uh, yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah, that's, that's allegedly, yeah. air quotes, yeah. 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 Uh, no, that thing's got some power. Uh, and, of course, you can't, you know, use it, really. Uh, but what a fun car. Beautiful sound. Um, the everything potholes just, everything just works. Yeah. I really always like McLarens. I think they're fantastic cars. I was curious your opinion. They're, they're, they're a big favorite of Nick and I. In fact, our, we have a, a guest in the audience who's a 675 LT. The previous okay. edition. That's probably the best car I've ever driven. It is the best car I've ever driven, personally, and had some time with. And I was curious how a pro would rate the 600 LT. So, well, I mean, given the fact that, yeah. You're we, on the street. I know that. Y- yeah, 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 on the street. We did get on the freeway, but, you know, there's all the traffic around. So we kind of stood on it once. And, yeah, it feels good. It sounds good. It's solid. I just like the design, you know, what they've done there. And, I, and I'm a big Ferrari fan. Um, not not big in the Lamborghinis, but you know I take I take that McLaren over a Ferrari at this point. Yeah. Even though I I love Ferrari. The visibility is so much better. Like you, we, we've talked about that before. You get it's not into, bad at all. Well, no, but I mean, you get into a Huracan and there's I mean uh, there's yeah. no field of vision. But the McLaren, you feel you're lower. I feel like you're lower down, and there's the windshield's bigger. And, yeah. Yeah, it's a for two big guys. It's a surprisingly comfortable car. Yeah, <laughs> there's it's got no big <laughs> mirrors too. You can actually see out the back, which is you know always a problem. I enjoyed watching you fall out of the car oh though. God. <laughs> so Nick gets in the driver's seat of this thing. I think you weren't downstairs yet. Oh, I know. I watched it. Oh yeah, you yeah. were. That's right. And I, I got the whole thing on videotape. Yeah. Oh good. <laughs> I wish we could. Needless to say, it didn't have the center seats. They were a little tighter. They were a little tight on me, and I've already had some issues, as you know, with tight seats. Yeah, so, so yeah, I had to fall out of this that car. Yeah. It's not a good car for running errands. No, no, you no, 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 no. Get no, in a lot. No. It's a car to get in and stay in for a couple of hours. Yeah, if you're running errands between here and Portland, yeah, yeah that's I mean, true. Yeah, right. Find your new commuter. Yeah. What do you uh, what do you what do you enjoy driving on the street these days? <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that. I, I I was telling the young lady who was with me in the car, like you know, I've been I'm I've been used to lately getting stared at. But for a completely different reason, it wasn't because I was driving McLaren. So been walking around Ma- without pants again, haven't you? No, that was later. <laughs> that was later. Uh, <laughs> okay. No, I, I I'm helping out a company called Mechanica, and it used to be a company called Intermechanica. They built Italian-bodied Ford, mostly Ford and Chevy engine cars back in Italy in the '60s and '70s. Started by a guy named Harry Reisner, and um, Harry passed away. Left it to his son. His son Henry moved it to Vancouver, BC, and started building. Um, Porsche replicas, 356 replicas, and put 911 motors in them and Subaru motors and things like that, and he'd sell them like a bespoke hand-built car. So 
A buddy of mine ended up meeting Henry, liking what he was doing, wanted to build an electric commuter car. He's a very kind of green thinking uh, guy who's, you know, uh, loves the whole idea of EV. So I ended up buying this company and starting to design this little electric one-seat, three-wheel commuter car called a Solo. And he calls me one day. He's like, hey, here's what I'm doing, this and that. He sent me a picture. I'm like, that thing looks pretty cool. At least from the front, it looks like this small little car. And then it tapers back. And the back's a little different. Looks more like a motorcycle sidecar kind of thing because it narrows down. Anyway, I went up to Vancouver. And when I got there to test drive the thing, it was snowing. <laughs> so I'm like, will this thing go in a snow? He's like, yeah, give it a try. I think so. So I ended up driving sure. it around the block yeah. <laughs> in the snow. That was my first test drive. And um, anyway, we got to talk and he's like, yeah, you should be involved. You should help me out in this thing. I said, you know, Jerry, you've done a lot for me. He used to help us with our sponsorship back in the PacWest uh, Pac IndyCar days. Huh. Sure. So we got involved and now um, the cars are being built in China, the production cars. He, he sent me one down. I've had it for about two months now. I put about a thousand miles on it. I commute three and a half miles from where I live to where I work, and it's perfect. I can go all week in this thing. It goes 85 miles an hour on the freeway, goes 100 miles on a charge, and it's like driving a go-kart. It's just like a big go-kart. You're sitting in the middle, and it's got torque, so when you stand on it, it actually moves. I mean, it's not a fast car, but it's fast enough. Okay, and so I got to ask. You're in this car, and yep. some, some crazy housefrau in, in a Hummer takes you out. I mean, safety-wise, how does something like that work in a capsule like that? Well, everybody asks that question. We just had yeah. it at the Portland Auto Show, and yeah. everyone asks, is it safe? And I said, safety is two things. Safety is the car, obviously, but safety is also the driver. So I drive this car like I would ride a motorcycle. I'm super defensive. I make sure that the woman in the Hummer sees me, and I don't put myself in a position where I'm between the Hummer and a semi. And, and neither one sees me. Um, it's tall enough, it, it can be seen. But it's also passed all the DOT crash tests. It's oh, I, I assume. In the it's front and back, it's got side beams, it's got a roll bar. So, you know, oh. it's, for me, safe enough. Yeah. I don't intend on getting hit by anyone or hitting anyone in it. Um, but, you know, for a lot of people, it's not going to be. They're going to look at that Mac. no way. Oh, a death uh, capsule. <laughs> yeah, well, I've heard it. One guy rolling coffin. You know, no. There's all kinds of jokes no, about this. Thing, it's a neat-looking car. Like, I mean, you had sent me photos of it when you first started driving. You have to come down and drive. I'll, oh, I'll yeah. bring one up to Seattle That'd here. Be fun, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll do an event. Yeah. We'll do a launch event up here when, uh, when the production cars start rolling in about June. So, anyway, that's what I've been driving. I have an Audi uh, Q7 for, like, my real car that I drive up here because the Solo won't make it. <laughs> I'd have just been like a long lunch. And you could put the Centralia. Solo in the back of the Q7. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. 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 I tow it behind. Well, it sounds like the perfect little car for the Northwest market, though, especially. Seattle, Portland. I mean, that's like their bread and butter. So it, Yes. Yeah. Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, L.A. Yeah, you know, exactly. We're kind of starting on the West Coast. Yep. and then He's know, helping keeping there, Portland so weird. Like <laughs> weirder. 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 Yeah. yeah. Weirder. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah, I, I've been so busy doing the, our company. I just haven't done a lot of car stuff lately. I'm, I still have our shop, uh, Gerber Motorsport in Magnolia, which uh, where we'll end up uh, having the service and parts for the Solo out of there. So there's a lot of great cars. If I need a fix, I can go there and find something. You've cool got a few toys. Yeah. yeah, take out and spin around. But uh, Or I somebody will hand you the keys to a 600 LT and say go for Maybe, it. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> and that too. That too. I don't know why they let the race car driver drive it. We I can't. know. Jeez. Yeah, right. I, I didn't crash it, Nicholas. That's a good <laughs> I haven't crashed a car yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> you know, there's a lot to say. It's, a, it's about yet. the car and, and the, the driver. driver. Yeah, so so, we've so heard. I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's much. take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about uh, what you got going on in the future. Grandpa, what do you call this thing again? 
It's a 66 Ford Bronco. I think you got ripped off. Why is that, honey? It's got no Wi-Fi, no USB port, no Bluetooth. Exactly. I guess we'll just have to talk. Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. Is that the window button? It's called a window crank. Cool. The faster I move it, the faster it goes down. This moment of escape was created by Haggerty. Being old is kind of cool, Grandpa. Works for me. For people who love cars. And we're back. That sounded like a football moment right there. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brought to you by Rainier Beer. Yeah. And Haggerty, coming to you live from Drivers Club. <laughs> we said it. We said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had a, uh, we're going to go back to some stories because this was one we all went, huh? <laughs> we're going to go back to PacWest days and Indy. And about uh, you driving in one in a particularly interesting place. I'll let you tell the story. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we, we started the PacWest team in 1993. Um, Bruce McCaw and Tom Armstrong, the late Tom Armstrong, uh, who, who we will all miss greatly. Um, and then uh, my uncle, uh, Wes LaMotta, who's also the late Wes LaMotta that I, I miss. But we all started PacWest back in 93. And I was fortunate enough to be able to drive the IndyCar for them in 1994, along with Scott Sharp, my teammate. And then, of course, PacWest went on to, you know, run Mauricio Gujeman and Danny Sullivan and Mark Blundell and uh, had Indy Lights. They, you know, they had about a 10-year run uh, in the IndyCar circuit. But I had an affiliated team. We ran the touring cars, which I talked about. And then in the middle of that truck series, the highlight of that that year of trucking for me (laughs) um, was... We got a contract from uh, Hollywood Cigarettes, which is the Brazilian uh, cigarette company that sponsored Maurizio Gujeman. They've been a sponsor in Formula One and for years. They're kind of like the Marlboro of Brazil, right? Sure. Sell cigarettes all over the world, except they don't sell them here. So they wanted to do this uh, TV set of TV spots called Hollywood Around the World. And it was going to be the Hollywood IndyCar being driven in all these crazy places. Uh, A uh, dry lake bed, a buffalo field, a velodrome, uh, aircraft carrier, and the other one was a glacier in Alaska. So they put it up for bid. We quoted on it. We said, yeah, we can do all this stuff. And they said, you know, we'll carry, we'll, we'll do the transportation, but you guys, you provide the car and the crew. And we're starting at Juneau, Alaska on a glacier. And uh, we need studded tires. We need, you know, sub-zero, blah, blah, blah. So we got everything all rigged up. They brought the two Indy cars on a flatbed underneath a helicopter, like a, a, a skid, dropped them off. Everything got flown up to the top of this glacier. There's no roads or anything. Catering. That's because most people aren't supposed to drive on glaciers. Exactly. So they went and they kind of laid out a course. That's and why you're selling electric vehicles now. You're trying to give back to the environment. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll so yeah. we can't make this yeah. commercial today because yeah. the glacier doesn't exist. It's, Pretty much. It's, yeah. called the, it's called the Karma Bank it's account. It's a Karma Bank account. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Gotcha. So anyway, long story short, the, um, they wanted me to drive like 70 miles an hour on this glacier in the IndyCar while the helicopter kind of flew backwards filming me six feet from the front and that wasn't good enough for the producer he wanted to be three feet he wanted me to go 90 miles an hour then it was he wanted to be one foot away and he wanted me to go 100 miles an hour well as the as the day got warmer the track that they built started getting these huge bumps and i was literally flying in the air in this car and i finally i said i can't no we can't go any faster if i jump too high i'll hit the blades (laughs) yeah Yeah. no it was really frightening having a helicopter fly backwards right in front of you when you're you know you're flying all over the place you're just kind of bouncing like that so it was a crazy crazy thing 
we did that. We did some spins. We did our crew thing, and they, they made the whole thing. We ended up, um, <laughs> on the last day, the storm came in, and they were pretty much done filming. They called it a wrap. They're like, storm's coming in. You got literally 10 minutes to get everything out of this mountain. So they hauled everything off. Well, the last thing up there was one of the two Indy cars. We brought two. We all gone back to the hotel, and um, uh, the pilot didn't come back, didn't come back. No one could get a hold of him. We're like, what the hell is happening here? Turns out he picked up the Indy car in a skid, started flying down off the glacier, and the winds picked up, and they had a, the button release, right? Oh. I don't know if I ever told Bruce McCaw this story, but um, <laughs> the thing started swinging, and the pilot said, I was this close, and I'm holding my fingers, what, a quarter inch apart yeah. <laughs> from dropping that car down in some ravine because I wasn't going to let it take me down. And he said, but I managed to, I said, I'd try and turn around, and if I can safely get turned around, I'll just dump it on the glacier again, which is exactly what he did. Got it turned around, dropped it in the glacier, flew back without the car. So now, all by itself, is an Indy car sitting on a glacier <laughs> overnight. <laughs> so I was thinking, okay, you're Joe Mountain Climber. You've been to REI. You've got all your stuff. You're like, it's okay, we're, Christine. We're Nobody's been up mountain. here in years. What the? F yeah. <laughs> what is this car doing yeah. here? I'm, I'm hallucinating. I must be hallucinating. Yeah, exactly. So. Anyway, he went back the next morning. The, the uh, wind had dried down, picked up the car, brought it back. So we got one of cars back. But <laughs> it was a good bar story. As National so. Geographic goes up to get the pristine wilderness, there's an IndyCar. <laughs> We're going to go up on this glacier. Nobody has ever been up here. It's untouched. <laughs> it's pristine. Does that block yeah. of ice look like an IndyCar? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Except for the you know empty Coke cans and the Hollywood cigarette Absolutely, wrappers. Yeah. <laughs> like, where's that up there? You know, for all the bad things you've got to you got to say people have say about cigarettes. Man, when they sponsored. Like, that was the golden era of racing. It really was. Seeing Senna's yeah. Marlboro the F1 car and mm -hmm. everything. Like, man, they made racing for how many, how many years? It was just... The amount of money that they put into it was just incredible. And there was nobody to replace them when they left, really. Yeah, you know, exactly. Now you're seeing, you know, I guess, uh, liquor and other kind of industrial things, but... It's all, all other good things Liquor and you. tech. Liquor and tech, yeah. Liquor, yeah. liquor and tech, yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> but I thought you would like that story. It's definitely go. Uh, you know, I'm writing this book about you know just all the crazy stories I have, all the wild things I've done in my life, and how I lived through them all. And um, my co-founder and I have a joke: when something crazy happens, he's like, "Is that going to get in the book?" No, that's not going to get. That's in the not going to get in the book. I have too many other stories, yeah. <laughs> like IndyCar and the Glacier. Glacier IndyCar. There's the name for your book. Yeah. <laughs> That time we drove an Indy car on a glacier. Have you ever done 100 miles an hour in an Indy car while a helicopter was going backwards, filming you two feet away? No? no. I haven't either. Hi, I'm Dominic Dobson. Welcome <laughs> to my book. <laughs> the audio version would be great. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. You know, you yeah, think rock stars and stuff have great stories, but race car drivers, man, that's a life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all money and, and booze and women and cigarettes. Everybody oh, knows that. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's no yeah. prep or, you know, you know, skill or I used I used to go um for the mothers against drunk drivers, I'd go and do like speaking tours when I was a Bon Rot instructor. Talk to these high school kids and junior high school kids. They're a tough crowd. It's a tough crowd. And anyway, they'd say at the end, it's like, does anyone have any questions? The two questions I got were, How much money do you make and do you get all the chicks? Yep. <laughs> That's all they wanted to know. <laughs> yep. No and no. Yeah, yeah. None and no. None and no, exactly. I work at Bondurant. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, so you're actually a pretty accessible guy. You're a Pacific Northwest uh, native. We run into you a lot at shows, Monterey especially, of course, and yep. uh, Scottsdale. But thank, you're thank goodness for our mutual well, friend Katrina. And, and some burlesque shows. But yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
You, you, we have to uh, talk to him about appropriate conversation on and off the air. I don't know what you're Stop about. trying to pimp your side career. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I dance pretty. Uh, as long as you feel pretty, it's all exactly, that matters. Exactly, right? <laughs> but uh, so VR Motion, you're, you're based down in, uh, it's just south of Portland, right? Uh, west, Hillsboro. Hillsboro. Yeah, we're right out by Intel. We're the kind of uh, Intel land out there, the, the Silicon Forest, they call it. Okay. And if people want to see VR Motion uh, in action... Best is go to our website, vrmotioncorp.com. We build uh, training for commercial military law enforcement for driver training. Uh, we were going to do it originally for race car drivers, and we said, they are flaky. They don't pay their bills. You don't want to be, have race car <laughs> drivers as know? a customer. <laughs> I know. Um, but, you know, commercial is where it's at. There's just not enough race car drivers, but there's plenty of, you know, there's a huge um, lack of drivers right now for the trucking industry and all they're trying to hire drivers. All of the baby boomers are retiring or dying and they're trying to replace them with millennials and they don't want to drive a truck no. and they don't know how to drive a truck. So the idea of training them in a way that, you know, th th they are used to receiving digital information. And so VR is a great way to give them this information in a quick fashion. Well, I know when you when you were first starting this and we were talking and you have set up displays at Concourse and things like mm -hmm. that, which is funny because Dan and I still haven't had a chance to ever do it, but you were talking about driver training, just like learning how to drive a car in there. Correct. And I was sitting back thinking back to like how I learned to drive in like driver's ed back in the night, like sitting in front of a projector with this, this steering wheel that you'd, you'd spin it, would go, you know. Infinitely. Oh, you, you, you didn't do the turn right. How do you know? There's nothing to tell me. Like, I can't imagine you, like how well you could learn to drive now with something like that. Oh, you need to come down and try it. Yeah. It's super realistic. You know, yeah. people, people get sweaty palms and their heart starts palpitating and all. And they palms spaghetti on my shirt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's uh, it's it's incredible. I mean, I've seen it. I, you've you've shown me stuff, but I mean, I've never had a chance to to actually. Uh, yep, yep. Come try down and try yeah. that. Yeah. Andrew so that's been a lot of fun because it kind of combines my love of technology and my and my love of cars, my sure. passion for cars. So I get to be the chief test driver. So I've spent lots and lots of time in in VR, driving all kinds of crazy vehicles in different situations. So that's the beauty of VR. If you can think about, if you can think of it, you can make it. You can make it happen. Nice. And then uh, Solo is the name of the electric car company you're representing now? Yeah, it's called Mechanica is the name of the manufacturer. Solo is the car. Okay. And you can go on solo-nw.com and um, see some photos of the car. And we just went to the Portland Auto Show, had a great spot, and we got lots and lots of interest in the car. You know, it's about 90, 10, 90% of the people said, this is awesome. And the other 10% of the people make some snide comment and walk away because it's an unusual small commuter car is not like something else you well, see. Yeah, you're not trying to compete with the Ford Focus, though, or some other thing like that. It's not that the kind of market. closest thing, I would think, like the smart car. Like, be the closest. Kind of, yeah, the smart car yeah. is, you know, yeah. smart cars, you know, shorter and wider, but ours is kind of longer and narrow, much swoopier looking. But we only hold one person. That's, you know. Beautiful design. It really is a nice job. And, you know, for me, having grown up driving go-karts and Formula Fords and Formula cars, sitting in the middle with only me in the car seems perfectly natural to me. Yeah. Dan, there's a finally a car we can afford to sit in the middle. You want a McLaren F1, but we can't afford that. So we'll get one of those. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Pretty so sure if we sold all of our kiddies combined at this point, we, we couldn't get we the couldn't down, get payment. down well, payment. Yeah, Dan, it's only sixteen thousand dollars, so you could each buy your own. No, no we're there talking about the McLaren, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. so you've got that, and then it's. Uh, I know you from Gerber Motorsports as well. Yep. That's, that's your shop over there in Magnolia, right? Yep. My brother uh, Patrick runs that for me, and um, we just hired a, a new service manager, and he's really kind of kicking into high gear. Uh, we're taking on uh, new work. We're going to start doing EV conversions there. Um, you know, there's a lot of cars now that uh, people are attached to and the engines go. And 
if you're attached to a car and the engine goes, it's worth thinking about converting it because it's cost of fuel. And, you know, right. if you really like the car, um, if you've driven an EV, you know the kind of power it's got, the torque. Yeah. And once you get used to that torque, I talked about, you know, racers like power and grip. Well, that power, when you stand on a gas and electric car, really pushes you back, and it's something to behold. You know, one thing that we, we hadn't mentioned in this something, Dan, is the fact that, uh, you know, um, Dominic is the reason we know Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Wanker. That's right. Oh, we, should, who we, we do who need to touch we on ran, that. Who yes. we ran into Mrs. down in Wanker. Yeah, yes, Mrs. Wanker. Yes. She's great. I was thinking about that, but, uh, yeah, and, and has caused, it was one of our best episodes, and we actually got a chance to see her again down in Scottsdale. So, yep. wonderful. Yeah, that was heard my first drive into McLaren was yeah. hers. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she hadn't heard the episode, which she has now, and she, you know it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's something we should. It's worth mentioning, Mrs. Wanker, as we we will affectionately call her. Uh, she'll hear this. Is yeah, yeah. they are motorsports enthusiasts. They are yeah. not just some people we meet down at oh, Scottsdale. Oh God, no, no, they no, are no, yeah, that's a good point. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's my new favorite person to hang out when I go to Scottsdale because she just eats it all up, and it's she's, it's hilarious. The party goes with her. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Just, yes, yeah. yes, she's just she great. The life. All right. Absolutely. Anything else that uh, our listeners should know about that you got your hands in? I see you're talking about you've got a book you're working on. That's that's a ways away. We've yeah, it's a ways away. It's kind of one of the you know it's my eight, it's my eighth side hustle gig um, <laughs> that I'm doing. So I don't have a lot of time to work on it. You know, still trying to help out Andrew. I'm glad you guys had him on. Yeah. You know, he's um, it's been it's tough because boy to be a young race car driver now it takes so much money. When I was doing it, you know, if you raised $100,000, you were set. And now you better start with a million yeah. <laughs> if you want to really go anywhere. So, well, What is it? You or Andrew said that if you, if you want to make a small fortune in racing, you have to start with a large start fortune. Start with a large <laughs> one. Exactly. Yeah. That's right, yes. Andrew yeah. is one of the hum- most humble, kindest people I know. I mean, yeah. and, and I think you understand there, there's a lot of ego in that, in that area. And, and you there and really Andrew is. are kind of the opposite of that. It's nice to see. Well, I told Andrew when I started working with him, you know, if you ever turn into that kid, that's got attitude about it or you start your head starts getting a little bigger for your helmet i'm i'm out yeah you know i'm, I'm gone and he never has and no. he never will no. he's just not that kind of person oh and we should say this he's 21 now happy yes. birthday oh happy yeah birthday. that's right yeah. happy birthday exactly. yeah yeah <laughs> being that he's <laughs> humble he's probably not in a bar like we were but you know <laughs> yeah. so. we're drinking beer and wine here exactly. right? thinking <laughs> about you andrew we're thinking about you andrew yeah. happy birthday <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well, Dominic, thank you so much for coming in and taking the time. Um, and we're so glad. It, it took us a while to get you nailed down, but thanks for coming in. Thanks yeah, for having yeah. me. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully I can come back and do it. Absolutely. Next Absolutely. time you guys yeah, head back. down to Portland, give me a shout. Yeah, yeah I feel fun. like we need like, a little spot in our episodes for like another story. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by Dominic. Oh, Brought I got, to you by yeah, Dominic. I got lots. lots yes. Lots. Well, you, you've, you've created stories for us. Like I said, the Wankers is, is an incredible story. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Well, le- we'll do that uh, driving tour with you guys on the way to Monterey. I'm yeah. sure we can come up with See some more stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That'll be fun. All right. For, well, for Rain City Supercars, I'm Nick. I'm Dan. And don't just get there. Enjoy the drive. <laughs>